So our scripture reading today is from Luke chapter 12, uh, beginning in verse 35. And often there's an introduction before the passage, but today we'll just go straight to the passage and then dive in. So why don't we stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's Word in Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 35. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes in and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third watch and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect." Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find doing so when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions." But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. And from from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. The grass withers and the flowers fade, and yet the word of the Lord remains forever. You may be seated. So perhaps uh, the title seems a little science fiction-ish. The age of the eschaton kind of sounds like the next science fiction or fantasy movie coming out, or maybe... Maybe the next dystopian uh, story, which actually is probably closer to accurate. Uh, All these dystopian stories are all kind of about the end days, the last days. Literally, eschaton, that's all that means, is the last days or or the last times. Uh, And Jesus is here, interestingly, talking about living in the last days, how... How we as, 
his followers ought to live our lives uh, anticipating that he's going to come back, that he will return. And how should we, what does faithfulness look like when we are living in these last days? Peter, who speaks to Jesus here, uh, picks up on this theme in his second letter uh, in Second Peter He's writing to people who are wondering, and, and they're wondering when Christ will return or if Christ will return, and they're only a few decades after the ascension of Jesus, and they're already having these questions. And Peter says, listen, there are going to be scoffers who come in the last days in the eschaton with scoffing, and they'll be following their own sinful desires, and they will say, where is the promise of His coming? Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. So Peter realizes, as Jesus is instructing here, that that this is a temptation. That that it's easy to look at the world and life and, and say, well, everything just continues on the way it has been. Uh, What is the point of preparing for anything next when nothing next seems to be coming? Uh, Jesus says to his followers, this is how you ought to live. This is how you ought to live right now in the present as you anticipate your future with Christ. He says, first of all, Stay dressed for action. By the way, I need to apologize. I could not figure out for the life of me a witty, easy three-point outline to this passage. So I'm going to talk for a while, and then we'll pray. So uh, I have no points. No, that's not true. I have a lot of points. Um, but, I mean, it's sort of, you could break it down into like the three parables. Like there's a parable, then sort of a, a parable within the parable, a very Hamlet-esque uh, and then there's a third parable, but I didn't want to break it down that way, but we'll look at all, these, all three of these. But uh, before he gets into the parable, Jesus says, stay dressed for action. Literally, he says, keep your loins girded. Wouldn't you like, oh, I'm glad we changed it to stay dressed for action, but thanks for telling us what he actually said. Appreciate that. Uh, so they used to wear robes uh, and and so to gird up your loins uh, for action, it would, you would take the robe and you would tuck it into a belt so that your legs were free so that you could maneuver if you were doing strenuous work or if you were running or if you were in battle. Uh, and so girding up your loins was tucking in your robes so that you would be ready for the work that you had to do. Uh, And Jesus isn't saying, gird up your loins. He's saying, keep your loins girded. Like, don't ungird. Be prepared. Be ready. Anticipate that the Lord is coming. Keep your lamps burning. Don't let them go out. He tells many parables about uh, the folly of letting your lamp go out and, and not being ready for the master to return. He says, be like, be like men who are waiting for their master to, to come home from a wedding feast. 
And he says three times in this passage, you'll be blessed or blessed are those who are prepared. Blessed are those. It's literally the same as the Beatitudes. Blessed are the the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. He says, blessed in verse 37 and 38 and 43. He says, blessed are you. Verse 37, blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. In verse 37, this is the first place of five places in this passage that this particular word for servant is used. Uh, This word, uh, all of our English translations translate it servant partly because uh, we're uncomfortable with just the literal translation of slave. And we, we rightly ought to be uncomfortable, okay, so... I mean, America and Europe, like the slavery that existed that we think of was sinful and atrocious. This idea of chattel slavery where, where you could actually own another person as your property, like that is evil entirely. The idea here, uh, the, the, maybe you've heard the, the Greek word kind of transliterated doulos, uh, your, your Bible might have an asterisk and says bondservant. So a bondservant uh, is a slave, a household slave, uh, many times, who, who willingly took that on, like entered into that relationship with the household. And, and what the result was actually you became a part of the house, like you, you had rights and protections, and, and you would serve, and yes, but, but you would also be protected and, and cared for by the head of that household, by the master. Like the, I was talking to Rich, and I hesitate to use this example because I don't want you to think that I am promoting a certain television show that is out there, but in that show, there are day workers, and then there are uh, branded men, and and like and the branded men are like they're protected, like they have a job for life, like they will never be fired, they'll never be, and like their needs are the whole community's needs, and the the head of the house, uh, John Dutton. Uh, he takes care of them, but once you're branded, like that's like you're you're a bond servant, and you are trading work, and you get paid, and you get, but you you are part of the household forever, and so maybe that's the only good thing about that show. So, I mean, I really liked it, but anyway, uh, so these, it's interesting that Luke uses the word doulos 26 times in the entire book of Luke, which, which means that almost 20% of them are in these two paragraphs. Like five times he talks about being a servant, being a servant of the master, being a slave of the master. In fact, master is the other word here that, that we kind of miss because nine times the word for master is used in this passage. 
Now, in this passage, there's another word for servant, because maybe, you maybe you're a counter like me, and you've gone through, and you're like, I see servant more than five times, Leonard. We'll get to that. Master is there what looks like less than nine, but it's nine because the word is literally kurios, or kurios, or Lord. And so twice, two of the nine times, it's specifically about Jesus. Peter will say, Lord, he's literally using the word that's been in the parable, kurios, master, is this parable for us or for everyone? Uh, And then Luke repeats it. He says, and the Lord, the master, replied. And so, There's an intentional use of this word so that none of us misunderstand that Jesus is talking about when the Lord returns, when the Master returns. Now, the shocking part of this first parable isn't that the Master expects His servants to be ready no matter when He comes home. The shocking part of the first parable parable is when Jesus says, truly I tell you, if he comes home and finds his servants ready, he will dress himself and serve them and set table for them. This, here's this master coming home and he comes and serves his servants. Now, later, Jesus will say, now listen, if you're a servant and you're doing what you're supposed to, oh, good job. You did what you're supposed to. That should be your attitude. Your attitude shouldn't be, oh, the master's back. What do I get now? You get, thank you for doing your job. Good job. Uh, but here he's saying, but even unexpectedly, the master, when he returns, will on his own accord dress himself and serve his slaves. They will recline at table, and he will come and serve them. Even if he comes home in the most inconvenient of times, even if he comes home in the second or third watch. So uh, Jews at that time divided the night from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. into three watches. Uh, The Romans divided the night into four watches from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. So either he's talking about between the hours of 10 p.m. and 6 a.m., or excuse me, 11 p.m. and 6 a.m., or he's talking about the hours of 10 p.m. to 3 a.m. Either way, he's talking about the most inconvenient time to be ready for the master's return. He says they will be blessed. Even if they're ready at the most inconvenient of times, they'll be blessed. And this is where the second parable comes in. Jesus sort of anticipates the yabbats of this. You know, yeah, but if they knew when the master was coming home, they'd have been ready. And that's kind of true, but that's sort of the, isn't that like the teenager response? Like when the parents come home, it's like, well, if I knew when you were going to be here, I would have had the place cleaned up and I would have put everything away. Next time, tell me when you're going to be home. In fact, that's sort of the teenage thing. Like your parents are going away to a wedding and maybe it's out of town and they're going to be gone overnight. And you're like, well, when are you going to be home? I mean, like, exactly when are you going to be home? I just need to know what I have to be prepared for. 
And at that point, as any, any good parent would be like, you know what, I'm going to be home in 15 minutes. I'm going to drive around the block and come barging back in here, and I'm going to do it all day for the next 24 hours. Just, I'm going to be here every 15 minutes. Say, hey, I'm back. Like, Jesus says, what? He says, you know, yeah, if the homeowner, different word for master here, so if you're counting masters, he doesn't want you to be confused that Jesus is saying, dude, I had no idea. No, he's saying, no, if the homeowner, if the household master knew when the thief was coming, like, he wouldn't have gone away either. He wouldn't have let his house get broken into. And he, he summarizes, he says, you need to be ready. The Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. You need to be ready. There's an anticipation of Christ's return that we ought to be living in. We ought to be prepared for His return. Now, at this point, Peter raises an important question. Because usually when Jesus tells parables, it's, it's, He's talking to the crowds, and then later He explains it to His disciples in more plain language. And so here's these two parables... And so Peter's just like, um, so are, are, you telling, are you telling this for us or is this for all? Now, to understand this question, we have to figure out who's us and who's all. Like he could be saying, is this, is this intended for us as in like all followers? Like is he dividing between followers of Christ and not followers of Christ. Is this for us as followers of Christ, or is this for the whole world, uh, believers and unbelievers? Or he could be saying, is this, are you telling this to us like the we 12? Or is this for all followers of Christ? Are you, is this a warning for all followers or just for us as, as the 12? And Jesus' response at least indicates that it's the second because his response is about like followers and there's even there's there's a mention of unbelievers but the the parables are for actual followers of Christ and so his answer is basically when when Peter says is this for us or is this for all Jesus says yes Now, first, you 12 certainly understand that there is a high calling to care for the other slaves. Yes, it is certainly he is speaking to those who are called to lead and care for others, but the instruction is for any who would follow Christ. Be prepared. Be ready. Live in anticipation and expectation that Christ is coming back. These instructions for anyone who would exchange slavery to the world and slavery to sin for what Paul calls slavery to Christ and slavery to righteousness. See, we... We like to think that the difference in our lives is that you're either a slave or you're free. But Scripture really says the difference in your life is to whom you are a slave. 
because you're either a slave to your desires, a slave to the world, a slave to your sin and your passions, or you're a slave to Christ and His desires. You're a slave to righteousness. And so he's speaking to all who would want to be a slave of Christ. He's saying, watch, be prepared. And so Jesus in verse 42 to 44 brings in another parable. And he brings in another title, not a a third category, not another category, because the guy is still one of the slaves. He's still a servant of the master, but this one has a different title. And so he is in this parable saying, listen, apostles or leaders or those who would think to lead other servants, pay attention. He refers to one as a faithful and wise manager or a faithful and wise steward. The steward is still a servant. He's called a slave in verse 43. He's a slave of the master or the slave of the Lord. But this servant is entrusted with the care of the household. So the master's away and this servant is entrusted with caring for other slaves and making sure that they're fed and nourished and watched over. And when he is caring for others, even when his master is delayed in returning, he is blessed. But if he doesn't, if he decides that it's his title that gives him dignity, not his relationship to the master, if he decides that the master isn't coming back anytime soon, so he might as well take care of himself. And he begins beating the male and female servants. This is where your count gets off, by the way, because this isn't due loss. He's speaking specifically of young male and female house servants. And so it's, it's even the youth. He beats the very ones who should be protected by this steward. He's beating them. He abuses the younger servants. He eats and drinks and gets drunk on the master's stuff. I mean, it's the master's food. It's the master's wine. And he's using it purely for self-gratification. And it says that the master, the Lord, will return at a time he doesn't expect and will cut him into pieces and put him out with the other unfaithful ones, with the other unbelieving ones. It's not that he's lost his place in the master's home. It's that he shows by his actions he never belonged in the first place. I think that there is nothing more disturbing to me than hearing about leaders and ministers in God's church who abuse God's children, who use their power and authority to promote themselves rather than to serve and care for others. And they do it in the name of growth or success. They hide behind some kind of higher calling when it's purely self-promotion and self-importance, a steward has great dignity and honor and value only in his relationship to the master. 
to the Lord. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 4.1, he says, This is how you should regard us, the leaders of the church. This is how you should regard us as slaves of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. We pastors, elders, deacons, we are slaves of Christ. Just like all of us. But we're also stewards of the mysteries of God. Now, if you know me, you know I can't... See, Rachel's already smiling. I can't talk about stewards without bringing up the most famous bad steward in all... Well, that's pretty hyperbolic. In any of the literary works I've read. How's that? And you, if you remember it from the movies, in Return of the King, there's a steward, a very famously awful steward named Denethor, Denethor II to be precise. And he's Boromir and Faramir's dad, but he is the steward of Gondor. He's not the king, but his line is considered royalty. Like steward is passed on from generation to generation, father to son, because it was a great honor to be the steward of the king, and especially a very important job when the king, when it looked like the line of the king had been broken, and there was no king in Gondor, and they were waiting for the king to return, and so for generations, the stewards ruled on behalf of the king's without a king in sight. If you remember, the the steward sat on a lower chair. He wouldn't sit on the throne. It was intentionally left open. He sat on the stair leading up to it. A steward didn't hold a scepter, but he held a white wooden staff. The steward didn't wear a crown. In fact, the banner of the steward, now we're going way deep into anything you don't even care about. Anyway, the banner of the steward had no, like, it had no symbol. It had no household symbol. It was just a white banner because the steward existed to rule and promote the king. In fact, the steward would take an oath. The oath to hold, to hold rod and rule in the name of the king until he shall return, return. But these soon just became empty words. And the stewards stopped ruling on behalf of the king and started reigning on behalf of themselves. And at one point, when, when Denethor is confronted by Gandalf and, and told, you know, about this the king who is going to be returning. He's already heard rumor of this so-called king, and his response to Gandalf is, I will not be thy tool. I am steward of the house of Anarion. I will not step down to be the dotard chamberlain of an upstart, even were his claim proved to me. Still he comes of the line of Isildur, and I will not bow to such a one, last of a ragged house, long bereft of lordship and dignity. You and I are stewards of the king. Like we, our dignity comes purely from the king. 
that he is both our creator and our redeemer. Jesus finishes his teaching on the matter in verse 48. Everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. From him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Do you anticipate the return of the king? I mean, there's both the anticipation in the first parable, but then there's action. There's obedience in the second parable. It's not just, you know, you've girded up your loins and now sat back in your recliner. Like, you're girded in anticipation, but also active in your anticipation. In our theology books, we talk about two different ways of understanding the eschaton or the last days. One is in like the, like in the grand sense the, of when Christ returns for all of his people. In the last, the last days. But there's also an individual, for each of us, an individual eschaton. of your last days. And are you ready? Are you ready? Are you living as if these are your last days? Do you anticipate the return of the King, the return of our Lord, Does the promise of his return affect your choices and your decisions and how you treat others? What does it even look like to be ready, to live in readiness? Well, it's a lot of repentance. It's not saying, well, I better... I can't sin anymore. I mean, you should definitely stop sinning, yes. But you should also continue repenting. Living in readiness is, is not letting the sun go down on your anger, is, is not letting a day go by that you're not confessing your sin and being reminded what the, what the Lord did, what the Master did to bring you into His household. He didn't just brand you, He pierced Himself so that you could be brought into his household, not just as a bondservant, but as an adopted child. I have heard and have thought many times in this last seven months, why not me? I've heard these thoughts from others, my mother. Why not me? Why was Alona taken? Why has Alona died? Why not me? 
And there's not an answer for that. But there is a question that I should ask in return to that. Am I ready? No one more than Ilona's family knew what a sinner she was. But Ilona was ready. If ever someone was ready, Ilona was ready. To read her journals, they're not filled with unsinful diatribes, they're filled with confessions and repentance, and a love for her Lord and her Master. A love for her fellow servants. One of the reasons we come to the table is to get ready, is to be ready. Jesus Jesus doesn't call you to stay girded and then give you nothing for the strength you'll need to be ready. He feeds you. He gives you himself, his body, his blood. He gives you the bread and the wine. He nourishes and strengthens us for the work he's called us to do. These are the passages that are hard to preach because it'd be easier if it just kind of ended with something that felt happier and less do better. But he's simply saying, you're in my house. You notice it was, it's not get ready so that I can put, bring you into my house. He says, you're in my house. You're mine. Be ready. I'm coming back. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do not know when you are coming back or when you will bring us home to you. What we do know is that both of those things are absolutely true. You will be back. And if it is not before our final days, you will bring us home. Jesus, make us ready. Give us a hope in you that dims all of our earthly hopes. And we pray, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen.